Thanks, Chad and team. Just awesome to be able to worship the Lord, to magnify his name, to extol his kindness and his virtues. I've never liked tests. How many people like tests out there? Just love to be tested. I got no hands. All right. It's really the only thing about school I didn't like. I liked learning. I liked hanging out. I liked being with my friends. I liked going to high school and college, seminary. Learning is this those tests. Tests are just difficult. They're stressful. And today we're going to talk about the testing, not of our knowledge, so to speak, but of our faith. And that can stress us out also. I remember one of the first major tests of my Christian faith. I was a student at Riverside City College, struggling with taking tests there, and then here comes a test of faith. I knew the Bible talked about sharing your faith with people, telling others about Christ, and I was involved with a group called Campus Crusade for Christ, and they were, they were big on that, and I had avoided it. And then one day my Bible study leader, my discipler, said, hey, why don't you and uh, Brandon, some of you guys know Brandon Stowers, why don't you guys go out just on the campus and find somebody and share the gospel with them? Bum, 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 bum. That's my heart, in case you can't hear it. I'll put the mic down there. Just the, the stress that started building up in my mind, my body, my emotions. And there was a, there was a test here. Am, am I going to say yes or no? I'm going to go do this or am I not? So armed with my four spiritual laws that I had been trained how to share with, so I wasn't lacking in training. And with my friend, Brandon, who was a little more outgoing than me, we, we went out. We marched out onto that Riverside City College campus, and we began looking for that perfect person to share the gospel with, you know, that person that was, that was waiting to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we passed on several people, several groups. We wanted to find somebody alone so we could surround him. We wanted to find a guy so... Nobody screamed, you know, as we surrounded her. So we find this guy, and we sit down, and we begin talking to him. And it was a very interesting conversation. Uh, Went through the four spiritual laws, and he sort of had a lot of the responses that we had been trained how to deal with, and that was a good experience. And then at the end, when we asked him if he wanted to pray the prayer to receive Christ, he said, well, you know, I've prayed that before. In fact, I'm on Campus Crusade staff, and I I just wanted to go through this with you. We, We had picked out a... A Camps Crusade staff guy there. It was the there was not on purpose. We he wasn't waiting for us, so it wasn't much of a test of faith. But I, I had more, have had more in my life in that area and others. And I just want to ask you: Has has your faith ever been put to the test? I'm sure, it has. We face tests. Some of them are major, and some of them are not so so major. Is your faith being put to the test even now, even today? Is God asking you to trust him in a difficult area of life? Is there a command from his word that you're struggling to obey? Is he asking you to do something you find very difficult? Very difficult maybe to even understand. Why would you ask me to do that? Maybe very difficult to accomplish. God, I don't have the gifts to do that. If so, then your faith is being tested. Well, today we're, we're going to look again at the life of Abraham. 
the father of our faith, as Paul calls him. He'll show us not only what it means to have our faith tested, but how to pass those tests of our faith. We're in Genesis chapter 22. This is going to be the last chapter we're going to look at in our study of the, the God of Abraham. If, you've, if you're visiting this morning, we're, we've been in a, uh, this will be week, does it say? Week 21 in our study of the God of Abraham, the life of Abraham. We began in chapter 12 and we're going to conclude in chapter 23. We'll look at chapter 22 both this week and next week. Although Abraham's death doesn't come until chapter 25, the events of chapter 22 are really the climax, the highlight of his journey of faith. His journey began as as we began the study in Genesis chapter 12. And it began with a test of faith, if you remember. Would Abraham, in response to God's call on his life, leave Ur of the Chaldees in the area of Mesopotamia, that, that rich, fertile land... And would he go to a land he didn't even know? We know it now, the promised land. Abraham didn't know. And yes, Abraham left and began this amazing journey of faith. Things we've looked at over the past weeks. Throughout the journey, he experienced many tests of faith, if you remember. Some of which he passed, some of which he didn't do so well. Now, recorded in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham faces what what I'm going to call the ultimate test of his faith. That test from God and Abraham's response to it will provide us, I think, with guidance and direction, with insight as we face the tests of faith that God brings our way. So let's begin by looking at the test itself. God tests Abraham's faith. That's our first point for this morning. Before we begin, get to 22, we need to set the stage for the test. Remember what we saw last week in chapter 21. The great joy we saw in the eyes, we didn't see the eyes, but we could imagine the eyes of Abraham and Sarah, the smiles on their face after 25 years of waiting, 25 long, painful years of wanting and longing, the child of promise was born. Isaac, laughter, the heir to the Abrahamic covenant had arrived. Can you imagine the emotional high that Father Abraham was on as he held his his little baby boy? This was not only his child, but this was the beginning of the fulfillment of all of God's promises. God had made it clear in in verse 12 of chapter 21, For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Through Isaac all the promises would come. Isaac was not only special because he was Abraham's child, he was special because through him, God's promises would be fulfilled. Through Isaac would come that great nation that Abraham was promised in chapter 12. Through Isaac, Abraham and his descendants would receive that great name among the peoples. They would receive the the promised land. And eventually, through Isaac, all the peoples on the earth would be blessed. So it was important, not only for this little baby to make it through the first six months of life, not only to make it through his early years, but it was vital that he make it to manhood. It was vital that he make it to fatherhood. If the promises were to be fulfilled through Isaac, 
I didn't, Isaac needed to reach that age of producing children. We get that? So that's the stage set. The promises would come through Isaac. Isaac is Abraham's son that he loves. Now the stage is set. So let's look at the test which God brings. Chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, underline that, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What? Well, that's weird. What, what is it? That's crazy. And that's a test. And notice the scripture says, God tested Abraham. We need to get this. We need to understand this. This is a, a, not a sub-point. This is a major point of, of this text. God tested Abraham. James chapter 1.13 says that God does not tempt us to sin, but the Bible here and in, throughout makes it clear that God does test our faith. God himself, the Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the creator of you and I, tests our faith. He gives us commands and puts us in difficult situations where we must decide who or what we're going to trust in. Who or what we're going to trust in. Why does he do this? Why does God test our faith? I mean, my wife gives tests. She's an algebra, geometry. She gives tests to her students. Why? To find out what they know, right? To see if they can pass the test to find out if what she's taught has gotten to their head. But why does God do I mean, God is omniscient. He already knows all, all things. I'm sure Christina would just like to be able to see into their minds. Oh, he knows that. He gets an A. He, he knows nothing. He gets an F. That'd be simple. He hates grading tests, and I oftentimes have to help her, so I, I, I would like that. I mean, God, he's omniscient. He knows all things, past, present, and future. He already knows the outcome before the event takes place. God knew that Abraham would pass the test. Abraham does. If you haven't read the book, he's going to pass this test. But knowing it, but knowing that it will happen, and allowing us to experience the actual test, the actual event, is not the same thing. Again, James. James is a good book. We're going to be studying James. Next week is Genesis, then we go to James. And if you haven't signed up, for a small group. This is a little commercial in the middle of the sermon. Small group, faith works. James has a lot of good stuff. And here James says something that's, that's really helpful. He gives a clear answer to why God tests our faith, if you don't know. James 1, chapter 3. For you know that the testing of your faith, James is clear, produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. You get it? Oftentimes when we take tests, the test is for evaluation purposes. It's to find out what you know. But God's tests are different. God's tests aren't just for the evaluation of our faith. The test itself is part of the process of growing in faith. And I would say it's the main part of the process of growing our faith. When our faith is tested, it grows stronger. Faith that is not tested will shrivel up and die. Our faith, like our muscles, need to be exercised if it's going to grow. I've been exercising lately, like almost daily, 
I know you find that hard to believe, especially if I turn sideways. No, I won't do that. But, but I have been. I even have an appointment at 8 o'clock on Monday morning to play tennis with Tom Allen, a former UCR tennis player. He'll, that'll be some exercise. So I've been in exercising. And, and you get sore muscles when you exercise. Sometimes, you know, when you're approaching 50, as I am, getting up there, you know, you can't even exercise the next day because something's really sore. But, but it helps you develop. That exercise helps your muscles to grow and develop. I remember one of my most difficult tests of faith. It occurred in, in 1985. You might notice a pattern in my tests of faith here after the first one and, and this one. So listen. It occurred in 1995 when pastor, then pastor of, of Bible Fellowship of Riverside, came Bridges, Phil Busby, asked me if I would be willing to preach a sermon. I was terrified. Literally. Both my mind and emotions and, and parts of my body began to rebel against that thought. I'd gotten over my once total debilitating uh, uh, fear of public speaking. I'd taught high school, Sunday school. I'd taught adult Sunday school. I'd actually been out and talked to people on the streets and shared my faith with people besides Camp's Crusade staff. But preparing and preaching a sermon was a very different thing to me. But having seen God work in my life before, having seen him help me overcome other fears that I had, and knowing that this was something he wanted me to do, I agreed. Preparing the sermon was not a problem. I, I, I enjoyed that. But I remember driving to church that Sunday morning, sermon in hand, wishing... Praying, God, just if I could get in a car crash, life would be so much better. I don't want to die, but just something, a broken leg, that would be good. But no such luck. I preached the sermon, and I don't know if it had any impact on anybody in the audience, any of the ears, but it, but it had a great impact on me. As God gave me the strength to walk up these stairs to stand in the pulpit and speak the words that he had given me throughout that week, my faith grew. My faith grew. My faith in him. As I, ha- as I have to face this and other tests of my faith, as we face other tests, of my, I, I found that, that the more difficult the test is, the stronger, the more your faith grows. We're made perfect and complete, lacking nothing as our faith is tested, sometimes in difficult ways. And some tests are difficult for some people that are easy for others. God is an individual God, and he works with us where we're at. Abraham is the father of our faith because he passed a test that, to my knowledge, no one else besides God himself, and we'll talk about that next week, God himself has ever been asked to pass. No one else has been given a test like this, like Abraham was given. This is the test God says to Abraham, will you obey me? Will you sacrifice? Will you kill your son? Now, some have had problems with this story. That God would actually tell Abraham to kill his son. If that's the kind of God you believe in, one that commands human sacrifice, then I want nothing to do with him. And so they deny the authenticity of these verses. 
Why? Because, because they don't fit in their notion of who God should be. So what do, we, what do we say to that? What do we say to that? When we come to difficult texts like this, we can approach it really in one of two ways. We can approach it with our limited human reason, with what we have to think about, in which case we'll either deny it really, really happened, ignore it, or try to explain it away. And if we do that, this is what we, we need to recognize, if we do that, then we lose the truth of who God really is. If we throw out all the stuff that makes us uncomfortable, then all we have left is, is the things about God that we like. He becomes a God of our own invention. We'll miss the amazing, if not difficult to comprehend, na- true nature of who God is. We'll keep God in the box, so to speak. For example, in this passage, we find a, a, an amazing picture of who God is and how he works in our lives. More than any other story in all of Scripture, this passage pictures what took place when God the Father sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of humanity. I will cover that in detail next week. I just wanted to point that out. It's it's a big thing. We can't throw it out. It pictures God the Father sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. So instead of approaching the scripture armed with only our limited human reason, our own preconceived ideas about who God is, who God is not, we have to approach it empowered with faith from God, trusting that God, in his word, has revealed the truth of who he is. Also, when we read Genesis 22, we need to think about it from the beginning to the end. We're only going to cover the first eight verses this morning, but the end, if you know the story, we've got we to know what happens at the end as well. We must view it, uh, this opening demand, this command from verse 2, sacrifice your son from the perspective of God himself. What did God know that Abraham didn't know? God knew he wasn't going to allow Abraham to kill his son. We know that because we've read the end of the story. But Abraham didn't know that, therefore the test. Try to put yourself in Abraham's shoes. As he looks at the son, remember the son he loves. God said, the son whom you love. He sees the fulfillment of all of God's promises. He hears God saying to him, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And then he hears God saying, take him, the son you love, and sacrifice him. Now, if Abraham's life teaches us anything, it teaches us that faith costs. Faith costs. Faith isn't cheap. It isn't easy. It costs. If a test of faith has no cost, then it's really no test at all, is it? When God tests our faith, he's asking us to to make a choice. Will you choose to rely on your own resources, your own wisdom, your own strategies? As Tom put it a couple weeks ago, your own default settings, what comes natural to you? Or will you choose to rely on him, to obey him no matter the cost? You see, God doesn't test us for his own entertainment. 
He tests our faith to teach us what it really means to rely upon Him. He tests us to show us what it means to cling to Him. What it means to grab hold of Him. What it means to be in relationship with Him. It's through these tests of faith that we gain intimacy with God. We see who He is as He's faithful and as He comes through in our testing as He strengthens our hearts, as we must cling to Him. It's when we come to know who He really is. And you know what? He'll test us in areas that cause us great pain and hurt. He'll test us with who or what we're relying on. If there's things in your life that you're clinging to, you're holding on to, you hold more dear, more important than the Lord Jesus Christ, that's where He'll test you. My guess is that Scripture doesn't say it. This is me guessing, me uh, inferring, inferring. Abraham was beginning to rely on Isaac. He had a son, an heir. His focus may have been moving away from the God who had had blessed him with Isaac and moving to Isaac. We do that so often. We move our focus away from God onto God's blessings. Abraham was a great blessing from God, but God was the giver. Abraham's focus must remain on God, not on Isaac. Instead of trusting God for the future of his descendants, of his family, of his nation, Abraham seems... I believe, to have given that over to Isaac. Isaac had arrived. Abraham no longer needed to trust him. God had fulfilled his promise. Isaac was there. So God tests Abraham with Isaac. And as Abraham makes the choice to rely on God and not God's gift, Isaac, his faith grows. Abraham is being made perfect and complete by the testing of God. You see, God our Father who loves us and wants us to be, as James says, perfect and complete, will test us where it hurts. He'll test us in in those areas that we rely on more than Him. He'll test us with our our finances. Are we willing to, to give until it hurts? Are we willing to give sacrificially? Or if we We lose some finances. Are we willing to trust in the Lord or in our own strategies, seek to run out and replace those? He'll test us in our relationships. Are we willing to love the unlovely? Are we willing to step out in faith and say, I will love that person? Are we willing to give of our time to people who can't give back? Are we willing to give up relationships that are not pleasing to God? He'll test us in our job. Are we, are we willing to work as unto the Lord? Are we willing to give our, our jobs to Him? To work for Him? Are we willing to change jobs if that's what He calls us to do? And the list goes on. God will test you in the area you're relying on instead of Him. God is, is testing what or who you put your trust in. For Abraham, the question was, would he trust Isaac? for his future, for the future of his people, or would he trust God? And we know, as we've read the end of the story, that Abraham trusts God. That's our 
Second point, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. That first phrase just jumps off the page at me. So Abraham rose early in the morning. I asked myself, did I read that right? Why would he get up early? I would have been tempted to just keep hitting the snooze button over and over and over again. I would have postponed facing that day as long as possible. I can't imagine getting up early to begin that walk that would lead to my son's death. But Abraham got up early, demonstrating his trust in the Lord. So early in the morning, Abraham saddled his donkey and along with two of his young men, probably servants in his household, he took Isaac and he cut that wood and he, and he went to the place of which God had told him. Abraham began this gut-wrenching journey of faith. We might think that Abraham got up early because he, he just wanted to get it over with. He wanted to do it before he changed his mind. He wanted to do it in some emotional, worked-up thing before he lost his nerve. If I, if I think about it too much, if I allow my true feelings to surface, then there's no way I can go through with this. But verse 4 makes it clear that this isn't what happened. Notice God didn't say, get up and sacrifice Isaac here right now. He says, go to this mountain, and, and, and this mountain takes three days to get to. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Abraham wasn't able to just get it over with. He got up and he, and he walked and he rode on the donkey and he walked some more and he rode more on the donkey and he walked some more and he rode on the donkey and after three days he looked and saw the place in the distance. Abraham had plenty of time to think, plenty of time to change his mind, plenty of time to devise some other scheme or, or strategy, plenty of time to try to bargain with God. Remember Abraham bargaining with God over the Destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham knew how to bargain with God and he had plenty of time to do that. Plenty of time to find a way out. How many of us have committed ourselves to some step of faith? God, yes, I'll obey you in this. I'll step out in faith. I know it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But I'll do it, Lord. But on that three-day journey, we've turned back. With time to think time to find a way out, time to rationalize it away. We don't stay the course. Remember, was it last week, two weeks ago? Last week. Two weeks ago, Steve Weems was preaching on our Mission Sunday. Mentioned that 99 out of 100 people who make that commitment of, of faith, that step of faith, and say, yes, Lord, I will, you're calling me, I will pursue the mission field. I'll pr- pursue being a missionary long term. 99 out of 100 never get there. They don't stay the course. But Abraham stayed the course. On the third day, when he and his party could see the place from afar, we read in verse 5, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Just a note there. We'll talk more about this week. This week, But Abraham's laying the wood 
This is the wood for the, on Isaac. Isaac's going to carry the wood. Isaac is no longer a little baby boy. He's at least a teenager by now, maybe older. Talk more about that next week. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both up. They went both of them together. Abraham and Isaac went on alone. They left the the servants, the donkey, and they go on alone. Notice notice what Abraham says to, to his servants. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. I and the boy will return to you. This verse implies that Abraham trusted that God would work so that Isaac would be returning with him. What was he thinking? God had said, sacrifice your son, and now he's saying to these servants, the boy and I will return to you. The author of Hebrews gives us some insight into what's going on in in Abraham's head. Listen, verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Author of Hebrews is talking about this time right now. And he who received the promises was in the act of offering, offering up his only son, that's Abraham, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Wow. There are two seemingly contradictory things going on here. First, God had promised that through Isaac, Abraham's offspring would be named. The promises would, that, that God had given to Abraham in chapter 12, in chapter 15, in chapter 17, again in chapter 21, those promises that God had given to Abraham would be fulfilled through Isaac. And second, before Isaac could father his own heir, God commanded Abraham to sacrifice him. Those don't go together. Those don't fit. Those don't work out unless, as Abraham in faith reasoned, the author of Hebrews says, he trusted that God was able even to raise him, Isaac, from the dead. So Abraham, trusting that God would work in such a way that that both he and Isaac would return, heads for the mountain. As we know, that's not what happened. Abraham just reasoned, well, if God has me kill him, what happens is God's going to stay his hand. He's not going to allow him to sacrifice Isaac. But in any case, Abraham believed that Isaac would be coming back. Abraham knew God, and he knew that God was faithful, and he trusted him. God had promised that these promises are going to be fulfilled through Isaac. Isaac can't die, or at least Isaac can't stay dead. Abraham knew that. And as he walked forward on that day... We can only imagine what's going on in his his heart as he waited for this inevitable question from his son. And and eventually the question comes. Verse 7, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, Isaac speaking, Behold the fire and the wood, but but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Father, uh, uh, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? I can't imagine that Isaac had any clue what's going on. He knew he was the child of the promise. He knew his father loved him with all his heart. But, but he's curious. Father, where's the lamb? Can you, can you imagine the emotional pain that, 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 that must have struck Abraham's heart? Even though he's reasoned that Isaac's going to be raised, he's still going to have to kill his boy. And his boy's asking him, where's the lamb? 
This is your last chance, Abraham. You can turn. You can run. You can say to Isaac, you're, you're right, son. Stupid me. We don't have a sacrifice. Let, let's just go home. Let's go back to the donkey. In his heart, he could have been thinking, God, God will understand, won't he? God will forgive my disobedience. I've disobeyed before, and God forgives me, right? I don't have to obey this time. This is just too hard. God can't really mean what he said anyway, right? But Abraham, instead of turning and running, this is faith, folks, right here. Instead of disobeying the Lord, Abraham gives one of the most faith-filled answers in all of Scripture. Verse 8, chapter 22, Genesis. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. God will provide. Jehovah Jireh. I think we're going to try to sing that song next week. Chad said it's a little tough, but, but we can do it. Abraham's answer made it totally clear that he trusted in God, no matter the cost. And this answer models the response to any agonizing question, any agonizing question that we have as our faith is being tested. How will our needs be met? Jehovah Jireh. What's going to happen in this this or that difficult situation? God will provide. What are we going to do when our resources are at an end? When the money's gone, when the health is gone, God will provide. What are we going to do when the family no longer cares, when we've been ostracized by our family? God will provide. When the friendship that we so valued is over, God will provide. When the spouse says those horrific words, I don't love you anymore, God will provide. When the child says, I don't believe in your God, mom, dad, God will provide. When this world takes away our hope, when this world gives pain, faith, trust says God will provide. Jehovah Jireh. And for Abraham, we'll see next week, God does provide, really exactly as he said. He'll provide a lamb for the burnt offering. Abraham continued to move forward in faith. He and so is demonstrating what true faith is. Faith, just so you know, in case this is what you're thinking, no pun intended, faith is not positive thinking. Faith is not convincing yourself that some improbable event will take place. Faith is trusting in the promises of God. And... If you've ever wondered if your faith is real, if your faith in God and His promises is real, if you really do, I really trust in Him, then then Abraham teaches us how to evaluate if we have that real faith. He teaches us what that faith looks like on the outside. Abraham got up early in obedience to the Lord. He cut the wood. He saddled the donkey. He took his son in obedience to the Lord. He journeyed three days in obedience to the Lord. He took Isaac and they both went up together in obedience to the Lord. And as we'll see next week, he'll, he'll raise his hand with a, with a knife in it to kill his son in obedience to the Lord. Faith, trust in God, is demonstrated by obedience 
to God. Now, I'm not saying if you ever disobey God, then that shows you have no faith at all. That would mean that none of us have any faith, because I think in some instances all of us have disobeyed God. What I am saying is, though, is when we do disobey God, we are demonstrating in that moment, at that time, for that test, we don't trust him. We're not putting our faith in him. We're putting our trust in something or someone else. When we disobey God, we are saying, I do not trust you. I'm trusting something else. Ultimately, ultimately, because we, we have the will, we've been given the will to decide who we're going to trust and who we're not. Ultimately, we're trusting in ourselves. We think we know better than God. We're, we're trusting in our own human reasoning, our own mind, or our own emotions. Those, that mind and emotions can be impacted by all kinds of things in our world but ultimately, it's those things, our mind. Picture, picture, if you will, let me, let me try to illustrate this. Picture, if you will, a, a scale. We have a scale. I tried to get a real scale. I was going to have a scale up here and do this, like, science demonstration. Couldn't find one. All I could find was a picture. Does anybody have a, have a scale like that anymore? I'm just curious. You got nothing. Okay. I'm not going to borrow it. You can, I, I'm done with the scale. I'm, I'm just using the picture. Now, one side of the scale represents, in, our, in my illustration, obedience to God, and the other side, disobedience. Now, what determines which way the scale tilts? What determines if we obey or disobey God in any given circumstance? Let me suggest there are three things that we can put on the scale. There may be others you can think of, but I think it, all, it boils down to these three. First, we can put our mind on the scale, our common sense our rational thought, what we think is logical, what we think is right, what we think is wrong, what our mind comprehends. Now, sometimes our mind wants to obey, and other times our mind wants to disobey. Sometimes we intellectually agree with God's commands, and sometimes we don't. Second, we can put on our emotions on the scale. These are our desires, what we want what we feel is right, what we love, what we hate. Sometimes our emotions want to obey God, and other times they want to disobey. Sometimes we feel like obeying, and sometimes we don't. Third, we can put our our trust in the Lord on the scale. This is our faith. This is what we believe to be true about God in our heart of hearts. This is how much of our life we've given over to Him. This is how much we trust Him. And our trust in the Lord is always on the side of obedience. So we have these three elements to put on our scale. Trust always goes on the side of obedience, but our mind and emotions, they can move back and forth, can't they? Now, if both our mind and emotions are on the obedient side, then clearly we'll obey. There's really no issue. The scale can't can't help but tilt toward obedience. And in reality, this this isn't really much of a test. I hope it happens to us a lot. I hope our our, uh, mind and emotions are on the side of, of obedience. But it's not much of a test of faith. For example, for most of us, God's command not to steal isn't that great of a test. 
We've been taught from an early age not to steal. And most of us know and feel that stealing just isn't, isn't right. The test comes when either our mind, our emotions, oftentimes both, are on the side of disobedience. When God asks us to do something difficult, something hard, something we don't want to do, something we know or we feel inadequate to accomplish, that's when the test comes. For example, when the Bible says, love your enemies, that is almost always, I can't imagine a situation when it's not, a test of faith. Because our mind and emotions don't want to love our enemies. Who does? And for Abraham, both his mind and emotions were on the disobey side of the scale, I'm confident. Neither his mind, his rational thought, or his emotions, the way he felt, wanted to kill his son. But through the years of relationship with God, remember, you can never forget this about Abraham. Scripture says three times that Abraham was a friend of God. Abraham was in a relationship with God. Through his experience of seeing God work and lead and guide and direct, through his intimacy with the Lord, Abraham had developed, if you will, a heavy, a heavy trust in the Lord. So even though the the mind and the emotions of Abraham were on the disobey side, the trust in the Lord outweighed it, and he went forward in obedience. So for us today, we need to ask ourselves maybe a simple question. Which is heavier? Which do we give more weight to in our life? Our mind, our emotions, or our trust in the Lord? Which way do the scales tilt when your faith is tested? When your mind and emotions want to disobey, does your trust in the Lord overrule? Does it outweigh your human reasoning? Does it outweigh your emotional feelings? Maybe you're saying, no, not very often. No. When it comes right down to it, I trust myself. I trust my own mind. I trust my own emotions. How, I'm, how, how can I, I mean, Some people think that's the only way to live. That's the case. You can look back at examples in your life where, oh, this, God, God's saying this, but it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't feel right to me. I'm going to go with me. That's the way you make decisions. Then I would encourage you, really the only way I, I can, the only way I know how, We have to be like Abraham. Abraham who was a friend of God. Abraham who spent time with him, who walked with him, who went on this journey of faith with him. We need to spend time in in God's word. We need to spend time at his feet. We need to begin to take those small steps of faith so that he can begin developing us, steadfastness. He can begin perfecting us, that we're lacking nothing. Allow him to grow you to trust in him. To gr- allowing him to grow your, your trust in him. Maybe you have a, a small trust in him. Allowing him to grow it into a, a heavy trust that you can pass the tests of faith that come your way. And let me say this. I think I've said a little bit. I just want to bring it home. It, it's, those, it's those times when we pass those tests of faith, when we trust in him and, and we we set aside our own mind and emotion sometimes. It's in those times where, 
where he comes to us and, and we gain intimacy with him and we know him and we, and we realize this is God, the creator of the universe, the creator of me. He knows what's best. I can trust him. I'm going to pray and, and then Chad's going to come and lead us in, in, in my favorite hymn. I get to make personal requests sometimes. Chad lets me. The hymn is appropriately trust and, and obey. Maybe you've heard it. As we sing these words, I would challenge you as I challenge myself. Ask God to examine our hearts. Ask God to examine your heart. Are we living out the words of this song? Are we trusting? And is that trust being seen in our obedience to the Lord? Are we trusting the Lord? Is that trust being seen in obedience? When, when God tests our faith, do we respond with our, our mind and emotions? Do we make the call or do we trust and obey our Heavenly Father? Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you so much that you care enough for us that you want to see our faith grown. And you know, you know that that faith grows when it's tested. and You're willing to test us. You're willing to, to take us through hard things, give us difficult commands. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for each person here that that trust that, that we have in you, that it would grow, that it would develop, that it would become heavy. That is it is on one side of the scales, no matter what's on the other, it's, it's going to win out. Because you demonstrated that you're trustworthy. You've saved us from our sin. You've given us new life. Lord, that we might trust in you as you deserve this morning. In Christ's name, amen.